The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. The show that champions, entrepreneurs, startups, early stage in all small businesses, and we're heard all around the world at the same time every week. I want to thank you for making us the number one business radio show on the planet for entrepreneurs. Well, we're coming to you, as usual, from wonderful city of Los Angeles, where it has been hot. It's been up to 117 degrees today. It's about 100 and it's been very warm, but we really feel for our colleagues in Arizona, where the network is located, for the dreadful fires that are there and the loss of 19 firefighters' lives. That's tragic. So on that somber note, we start another show. I've got a great uh, guest today, One uh, G. He's a rap artist, very successful. But he is one hell of a businessman and has done a fantastic job in building an empire. And no matter what business you're in, I think you'll get a lot from that interview. We had a lot of feedback during the week as, um, as a result of my segment on predictions for the year 2030. A lot of them were thought we were a bit over the top. A lot of them thought, a lot of people thought we weren't going far enough, but uh, it certainly stirred up some interest. But in my view, two things are absolutely for certain. Firstly, the institutions of business, education, banking, government, they're all mired in last century and they cannot possibly cope with the changes that are going to happen over the next 20 years. So we're going to have a total revolution in all of those things and there'll be a lot more people power and a lot less government power and a lot less government um, influence in the way we live our lives and run our businesses and obtain our educations. I think it's going to lead to a revolution in the way countries are governed, the way people are educated and the way business is structured. I've also been thinking about the statement by Salim Isma from the Cutting Edge Singularity University in California, who believes that uh, despite the extraordinary changes that have happened over the last few years, we're still less than 1% into the technological revolution. 
So multiply all the changes over the last few years by 100 and you can see the extent of the change that's going to be inflicted onto our society. The other element of, our, of the future, which I'm absolutely certain will change everything, is communication. It's projected that every person on the planet will have a $25 tablet, which doubles as a phone, providing everyone with extraordinary communication and education skills. And that's just in another 22 or 23 years. No government on the planet will be able to control what people think or how they communicate what information they are able to obtain. This will make non-democratic governments impossible to govern, but the problem is it'll also make democratic governments impossible to govern unless we're able to put some safeguards in place and I think technology is 10 years ahead of where the government is. So I want to thank everybody who contributed to this fantastic discussion. We really are living in a time of extraordinary change. So accordingly, I thought I would make a few more predictions today, which I hope will inspire the same level of spirited reaction, because that's what shows like this are all about, getting us all to think and focus our minds on how we can make the world of business and the world in general a much better place. So the more spirited the discussion, the more we like it. So this week, I've got some predictions from staff.com, which I thought were extremely interesting, some of them very provocative, but at the same time, with the rate of change the way it's going, I felt we're often quite conservative. I'm looking forward to hear, hearing what you think. I saw an extraordinary demonstration a couple of weeks ago of a 3D printer printing a real ear for a person who was born without one and the 3D printer was printing living cells so it printed a real living ear for a person which then could get fitted with um, the technology required to let people hear and that is then just attached to the head but it's a living ear produced by a 3D printer. That's pretty extraordinary stuff. So the first prediction that I came across is that at least 75% of all universities in the world, 75% of all universities in the world will have gone out of business. And universities are increasingly putting material online and in the future will award degrees to anyone who passes examinations, whether or not they've taken part in formal classes. It will also mean that anyone in the world can study courses from the world's top universities. This will open up advanced education to anyone in the world, rich or poor. The only, the only criteria is going to be how hard you are prepared to work to succeed. And that has to be a great thing. The second prediction is that the majority of the world's most successful companies will be virtual. The definition of a virtual company is one where less than 10% of their employees are located in the corporate office. So we need to keep in mind that the way we communicate will have changed beyond all comprehension so that 
location in the same city or country will not be an issue. We may be able to attend meetings as holograms. Who knows? But it will be an extraordinary change. The third prediction is that in the year 2030, over 90% of all taxis will be out of business. God, that's going to cost governments a bloody fortune in revenue, isn't it? The majority of cars, if not all of them, will be driverless. That'll fix road rage, I guess. This will lead to the formation of driving clubs where groups of a 1,000 people or more will share a few fully automated cars between them. And in 2030, it's projected that very few people will actually own their own cars. 2030 is going to be a period of hyper-efficient supply chains and delivery mechanisms. Stores will be able to deliver any product anywhere in a city with driverless vehicles and a robot unloading parcels and taking them to the door. Anywhere in any city within a couple of hours. It will be extraordinary. And the cost of that service will be negligible. The fifth prediction for 2030 is that over 50% of supermarkets will have gone out of business. New communication systems will make ordering simple and the driverless vehicles will enable almost immediate delivery at negligible cost. Now, artificial intelligence assistance in your home, probably in your fridge, maybe in your trash, will be able to record what's removed from the refrigerator or what's thrown out and tell you what you need to buy, place the order for you, and it will be delivered. Supermarkets are going to become more of a display case for new products, so people will be able to go in, get samples, look at all the new products out there. But it will be much more convenient, and you won't have to stand in those pesky lines. The sixth prediction for 2030 is that cable television will be totally dead. All content, no matter what it is, will actually be delivered on the internet and on handheld devices, which will be quite advanced to what they are now. In fact, they probably won't be held handheld at all. They'll be things like Google Glasses or it'll be an implant or perhaps maybe a watch. Um, you might have read this week that Apple has just registered iWatch in Japan and the prediction is that the iWatch will be like um, a miniaturized iPad and you'll be able to do everything on your watch that you can currently do on your iPad and probably voice recognition. So communication will be totally different. And the final prediction for 2030 is one that I touched on last week, and it's my favourite prediction. Poverty and hunger will be reduced from about 21% now to effectively zero. The high-rise farming will enable 
product to be be farmed much more inexpensively without pests, totally controlled environment, readily harvested and dispatched all in the one building. It'll be incredible. So we ain't seen nothing yet. It's going to be a big change for everybody. Now, one of the reasons that I love this period in, in time, and it really is a remarkable period in time, is that anything is possible for anyone, anywhere. This week, a 21-year-old raised the largest seed round in Sil- Silicon Valley history. The first-time entrepreneur, Lucas Duplan, raised $25 million for a mobile payment app that hasn't been launched yet and probably won't be until after the end of the year. Lucas raised an amazing $25 million, bearing in mind he's 21, with just a prototype and a beta test at Stanford University. Interestingly, Duplan said that his deck didn't move VCs to invest. They looked at his presentation, not interested, but once they saw the app, the prototype, that was when they decided to back him to the tune of $25 million. And he secured a number of patents for the technology, which is called Clinkle, C-L-I-N-K-L-E. While very few details about Clinkle are available, Duplan said it would revolutionise how payments work. And uh, apparently what they're doing is taking your phone and having it rival cash and credit cards. Now, the surprising element to me about this is that he is entering one hell of a crowded space. You know, apart from the big guys like PayPal and Square that are really cashed up and are already widely accepted, there are dozens more of these payment systems in the wings. So for him to be able to show entrepreneurs a, um, a prototype and get $25 million for it in a crowded marketplace, it really must be something. But to me, what Clinkle is, it's a great example for all entrepreneurs. You know, I'm constantly talking to entrepreneurs who spend years trying to get their product just right before they seek capital or a joint venture partner that's got muscle. They say to us, oh, I just need another six months of development. I just need this. I just need that. We're not ready yet and so on and so on. You go and talk to them two years later and they're still almost there. Well, this guy didn't do any of that. He got his demo working and got $25 million and this thing's going to be out in the marketplace really fast. So, and many entrepreneurs that we speak have their ideas on paper, but they don't have a physical prototype. And just as Clinkle showed, it's the prototype that'll prove to be the winner. The other thing that really is amazing to me is he's ent- entering an already crowded space with competitors that have unlimited capital, capital and he's a 21-year-old, and he's taking them on. That's what entrepreneurship's all about, take on the big guys. So Lucas Duplan, irrespective of what happens to Clinkle in the long term, entrepreneurs of the world salute you. 
you showed us all how it really should be done. Now, one of the issues with new technology is the potential for it to be abused. We've warned on this program before about the danger of webcams and the potential for them to be used illegally. But the BBC this week has said there's an entire industry which centres on the buying and selling of access to compromised webcams, especially those owned by women. I'm not sure why that is, but they issued a very strong warning to computer, smartphone and tablet owners that hackers can take over webcams without your knowledge and without much difficulty. The BBC warned to keep your webcams covered up when not in use. Simply by opening the wrong email attachment, criminals can control your webcam without your knowledge. So you open an email, bingo, they've got control of your webcam. So this crime is becoming a huge business with an entire industry centred around it. Once they control your cameras, they can spy on everything they do, everything that you do. They can spy on what you own, what cars you drive, who your friends are. They can see everything in the house that is in camera view when you're walking around on the phone. And it is, they can even, you walk in your house and you've got your phone to your ear, you tap your combination into your um, security keypad, they've got it. So internet security experts are warning people to cover up the camera on your computer, phone or tablet whenever you're not using it. Just this very small action can save you a hell of a lot of grief later on. Now, don't forget, this program's all about you the entrepreneur or the small business person that's listening to the show looking for tips on how to be more successful. That is what we are here for. It's our whole reason for being. So please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer you on air or we'll email you directly. You're listening to the number one show in the world for entrepreneurs, the Bob Pritchard radio show heard right around the world. So no matter where you are, we thank you for listening. My first guest after this break is Juan G. He is tremendous. You'll love him. A hugely successful recording artist. And he sold millions of albums through his own network of distribution without any major label support. And he's built an entertainment, fashion and branding empire called Real Savage. But what I like about him is he's a great bloke hasn't got a big head at all, has a tremendous business head, and he's a tireless worker, tireless worker for causes including autism. He's dynamic and he's motivating and an incredibly impressive guy. He's right here in Los Angeles. I think you'll be very impressed. This is Bob Pritchard, and I'll be back with you in just a moment with my guest. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? 
Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the part of the show where we talk to entrepreneurs, people that have created a new product or a new service. They've experienced the highs and the lows, the joys, those bloody frustrations and the disappointments and all the rejections that come with being an entrepreneur. Today, we're fortunate to speak with a guy who is a real entrepreneur in the entertainment business. He's a hugely successful recording artist, selling over two million albums, but what is extraordinary is that he's done it through his own network of distribution without major label support or national distribution. Wan G has used his business skills to build an entertainment, fashion and branding powerhouse called Real Sauvage. He's achieved this success through having a very clear vision of what he wants to achieve, he works bloody hard, and he has great ethics. Juan has had several singles and albums on the Billboard charts, with Nothing's Wrong staying for 12 weeks on the Billboard hip-hop singles sales and reaching number two on Billboard's hop, hot rap singles. He's created tremendous music videos with Caught Up with in the Rapture, topping the charts over people like Britney Spears, Eminem, <laughs> Usher, Beyonce and Outcast. He's appeared on every, almost every television network and made his film debut in Scary Movie Hack. So, he's one hell of an accomplished artist. But today, the mark of a true superstar is someone who gives back to the community. Now, Wanji launched a stay in school tour performing and speaking to students in over 300 schools across the United mm-hmm. States. He lends his support to a host of children's causes, including being the international ambassador for autism. He also led a non-profit group of doctors into Haiti following that dreadful, devastating earthquake. So I'm really confident that we've got a lot of entrepreneurs listening who can learn a lot from Juan. He's a real dynamo, and he's a great guy. Hi, Juan. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. 
Hello, Bob. It's, uh, it's, it's great to be on the radio show. Thank you for such a uh, welcoming introduction. I'm, I'm happy to join you today. Well, mate, you've earned it. Now, you've had such a great diversified career, but I guess it all stemmed from when you started in the, in the music industry as, as an independent. Um, tell us a bit about what it was like without a label, without having that label and all the muscle that goes with a label. Well, well, Bob, it was it was it was definitely a different time because at that time, not only taking an independent stance where I wanted to, you know, build my own career, mm-hmm. develop my own career, and distribute my own career, we didn't have Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and iTunes. We didn't have, you know, then the digital services that are provided to entrepreneurs today. Yeah. So I was really doing it at a time where we didn't really have those, we didn't have access to any of those platforms, but it was, it was definitely difficult, I must say, but I had a thriving passion to want to be a part of the music industry and I wanted to sell product through, but I needed to find a creative way in doing so. And the, the, the way I chose was direct marketing and network marketing at the time. There weren't really any artists um, selling music direct. Yeah. It was primarily happening through retail stores. So if you weren't, if you were not signed to a major label such as a Sony, Universal, Warner Brothers, or EMI, sure. um, y- your product never made it to the store. And I was a bit frustrated by that because in order to get into those systems, there was so much politics. Yeah. <laughs> that it was really hard to, 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 to find yourself with a major. So what I did is I decided to take an entrepreneurial route, which was a very risky one, right. but uh, I felt that I could go out and create my own my own fan base, my own sales initiatives, and I can go out there and I can create success. Did you have any um, any formal training in any of those things, or did you just had a innate ability to be able to go out and do it? I, I had no formal training. I just I just knew that I was passionate. I wanted to. Um, end up somewhere. I knew not doing anything about my career, not doing anything with my talent, it would just, you know, it would evaporate. You know, nothing would happen. So I decided the only way to go out was tell my story. You know, the, you know, people, word of mouth is still the most powerful, Absolutely. I believe, tool to getting a word out there. So I, I just used the old method of word of mouth and said that I'm going to go out there and I'm going to talk, I'm going to go door to door and I'm going to tell people my story and play my music and hopefully they'll listen. Yeah, word of mouth is still the most powerful tool in any business. It doesn't matter what business you're in. It is the most powerful tool for staying in business. You're described as a pioneer of the independent music industry. Um, how did that How did that label stick? Were you absolutely the first one to go out and, and um, go door-to-door as it was, or were you just the most successful at it? I was actually the first one. Um, I was actually the first one to... You know, you know where to, to go door to door and to pioneer that sales initiative and strategy. At the time, um, artists sold if they were artists that were independent, they sold their product at concerts yep. or they were they were, they sold their product at local gigs. I decided that since, of course, at that time I didn't have a popular name, how would I build my own crowd? And that wasn't the people going coming to me. I would have to go to the people. Yeah. So I decided quickly to start selling product door-to-door in all my neighborhoods. 
and knocking on the door and trying to get someone to listen through a Walkman or a CD player what I was writing or creating, and hopefully they would take the time to do that. It was a big risk because at the time, you know, to listen to a song, a song is usually two minutes and 30 seconds or three minutes, so yeah. to have somebody open the door that's a stranger and listen to your music for three minutes might not happen, but I, but I still took the chance. Wow, that, that's a great story. I love that story. Um, going back to Twitter and and um, Facebook and all the rest of the tools today, does that make it harder for an artist in that there's millions of people and every kid in his, in his bedrooms out there putting out, um, putting out video clips and stuff, or does it actually make it harder to get noticed? I think, I think it's... Well, it, it depends. I think that... If you're any bloody good, I the, suppose. The tools... The, uh, uh, I think, Bob, the tools of... of, of Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and so on and so forth, levels the playing field. Yeah. And I think that what it does is it gives you a pipeline to potentially, and YouTube as well, YouTube's a very great, sure. an amazing platform as well. I, I think what it does is it gives you the ability to raise your hand. Now, it depends on what type of content, and it depends on what your initiatives are. But for me, I believe that it's easier today. It makes the market less competitive because... I think that if you're able to have some type of unique form or you have something unique, yeah. you will you will raise your hand out of 100 or 300 or 500 million people on a service. You're, you have to be unique somehow. Yeah. So I think that if you're, if you're just someone who's just singing along and singing everybody else's songs, but you really have no real voice, I don't think much people are going to pay attention. So you got I a think, different... Uh, yeah, it all Bob. It all bases back down to talent. At the end of the day, that talent still sets fast with the human being. So when we talk about word of mouth, if something's good, people will let you know it's good. Yeah, I've al- I've always said that entertainment because it's so competitive. It's the one industry where uh, the cream rises to the top. You can't get away with being successful for a long period of time unless you're really talented. You know, so many people say it's all gimmicks or it's all whatever, but um, it, at the end of the day, it comes down to talent. So you've built a great brand and a fashion powerhouse in Real Sauvage. Uh, where would you like to take that company? Where do you see it being in five years or ten years' time? Well, hopefully in, in ten years' of time, we really feel like we should be a two hundred, a two to three hundred million dollar company. Um, with you know, with our products and services, uh, you know, we're a services company. Even though I'm my primary is I'm a recording artist, but yeah. we really built an entertainment company that's going to foster other artists and develop other artists. Right. Um, you know, our models are 360 models, so it's this, it's all the traditional means of the existing music business, which are records and stores or digital. But our 360 model leverages publishing, licensing, touring, content management, endorsements. Corporate sponsorships and so on and so forth. And merchandise, so touring merchandise, uh, branded deals. So what we do is we try to diversify, and I think that the model that the, the music side is building is to create partnership with talent, but finding people who are truly talented, not only at their performing arts, but artists that are articulate, they have a political view, they have something to say, uh, they know who they are. So it's important that we also, you know, we look to sign people we're much more, or talent that's much more Broadly. than a studio or having a great song. 
Yeah. Um, and, and so Real, Real Sabach Entertainment is looking to really, um, you know, give artists a break and give them the ability to become entrepreneurial and then, and, and also diversify their talent. Our, regarding the fashion side, uh, Savage Fashion is a great company that was formed in 2011. Um, the, the company has great potential. We're, we're all made in the USA products. We believe in fashion. We believe in quality fashion at the right, at the right price point. Right. Um, so Savage Fashion is a growing company as well. We have great management at that company. We have about nine people managing that business. We look to that business will be a hundred to two hundred million dollar business in the next five years. Um, we got some great projections, great business plans, great partners, great management. Right. Um, but again, it's really looking at that business being a services business as well. I knew that just being a recording artist, continuing to sell myself, there would be limitations. But if I got involved and built a company that could foster other talents, brands, and acts, then we could really grow. So. We also think the holding company has a huge promise, um, and if we, if the economy continues to grow here in the United States, and things continue to move forward instead of negative being positive, we have great potential for our company to have growth in our market. I actually think that uh, it we're, we're on the verge of of another boom. I think I think that uh, this has been a slow recession to get out of, but I think that things are picking up. I think that we'll get a bit more confidence in the economy, and I think it when when it takes off, I think it's really going to take off. I, I agree with you. I, I think that we're in a good place now. I think entertainment is a huge part of the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think fashion's a big part of the world. I, I think even in times of recession, people still find entertainment is a place where people go to let go of their issues or problems. Um, I think fashion is extremely important because people express their style through clothing and they, they express their attitude and their story through clothing. So I believe in the two businesses, but I believe that our model has to be, which it is, our model has to be based on technology. Yep. Our model has to be based on conservative spending. Our model has to be based on consumer pricing that gives the consumer the ability to afford it. Uh, I believe, you know, our, our models are also based on quality, making sure that everything that we do is quality and creating standards where the American public and the, the global economy can see that we're quality today. People are not, people are very sophisticated about quality. Either it's something that they're drinking, either there's something they're eating or something they're wearing or something they're listening to. People are very, uh, th- th- there's never been such a time in history where people are extremely focused on quality. Yeah, I agree with that. And a growing percentage of people can can afford good quality at good prices. Um, for all the entrepreneurs out there listening, um, that was just a very good lesson in how you build a business and and how you look at an industry to take your business to the next level. And uh, one, there's been a paradigm shift in the music industry. Um, from the way music's recorded through to the distribution, through to, you know, the way we, we sell songs. And uh, as a music insider, what do you feel about the current economics of the music industry? I mean, I, I speak to some artists who say it's great. I speak to some who say it's lousy. I spoke to a Warner Brothers official who said that it really doesn't make that much difference to the record companies. What What's your take on all of this and where we're going and how we're getting there. 
Well, well, let's talk about where the global music industry revenues are, Bob. And, and basically, that's a really good question. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll answer to the best of my ability, not picking a side, but really talking about where the market really stands financially. Um, the global music industry revenues in 2012 at this time were $16.5 billion, okay? Right. Yep. So you're, you're almost dealing with a $17 billion earning business, right. okay? Let's talk about digital sales are 50% of the U.S., yep. okay? And worldwide, digital is 34% of the worldwide market, okay? okay? Yep. Uh, digital, digital sales in the music business were increased this year by 12%. Okay, yeah. and um, the, the the top grossing fifty tours in the world are over three billion dollars. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. Okay. So so we're in a growing economy, and 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 what's happening, Bob, is that you you do have you have the independent label saying that their business is a great business. The reason is the independents don't have the big overheads that the big corporations do. Yeah. Um, so you have a lot of people who control their own independent destiny, and they're seeing profit. They're seeing profit margins of anywhere from 8% to sometimes even 30% operating their own independent company, okay? okay? Yep. Then you have the major labels who are the Warners and Sonys. Yes. They feel, they feel stronghold and struggle, and the reason is these big companies like Warner and Sony have major burn rates. Yep. And some of these companies are burning at $100 million a quarter, okay? Right. Yep. The, the amount of music a, a a corporation has to sell to cover their profits and losses is a tremendous amount of pressure that you're putting on talent, the consumer, and the global economy because the big public companies are trying to hit their bottom lines for their investment banks and their shareholders. Yes. So if you have a, if you ask a Warner Brothers or a Sony or Universal executive. How is the music business weathered? How's the storm in the music business? They're going to tell you we're either barely surviving or either, you know, we're hitting our numbers, but it's still a struggle. That's because big corporations traditionally have to put pressure on the consumer yeah. um, to purchase the product. So there's, there's a force through. So It's an extremely inefficient model. It's a very inefficient model because you have so many people on payroll and you have so many things going on. You have huge corporate leases. You have huge uh, public, you know, you have huge management stockholder parachute positions. You have burn rates of people working at these companies. Some of these people are paper pushers. They're not doing much at a lot of these big companies. So at the bottom line, who's paying for it? The artist. Right. And and how many artists do you have to sell? How many records, records. does a major label have to sell to cover a uh, you know a four or five hundred million dollar year of spending? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> a lot. So it doesn't make sense for the majors financially. So what you see is you see a lot of these companies downsizing. Yeah. You see a lot of these companies downsizing. You see a lot of these companies um, complaining. You see a lot of the stockholders selling their shares. You see a lot of the global investment banks really not putting the money into these majors because, again, their burn rates are way too high and the operational costs to run these companies don't make economic sense follow through where ROI, the return on investment, makes sense for the type of capital that they have to spend to continue to run these large corporate machines. Yeah. Now, 
the majority of people that listen to this show are business people and they're entrepreneurs. Um, so in, in business terms, what do you think is the most, the, the biggest key to your success? Is it, is it um, your drive? Is it differentiating yourself? Is it getting into arm-to-arm combat with um, grassroots? What, what's the real key to your success, do you think? I think my real key to my success, Bob, would be perseverance. Right. I believe that there is no secret sauce to success. Um, you know, you have some, you know, we all know why do most companies fail? Most companies fail as they plan poorly or they're under you know, poor management or they're undercapitalized. Okay. Right. Yep. Um, there, there's three to four reasons usually why a company doesn't succeed or either they're not competitive enough with their products and services. You might have a company that has a great management team that has all the money in the world and has a great product, but then the product, the price point of the product makes no, it makes no sense and someone else enters the market and competes with them with a less product that doesn't have the same quality, but the, the company that has less quality or the worst product makes more money than a company who has a great product. Yeah. Yep. And, and that... It, it, and that has no that that's knowing the consumer. So, for for my success, I think what's been with me, I've had great perseverance. I've 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 been the turtle in the race. So right. less has been more for me. Yep. Um, I always I always say the guy that goes faster doesn't really finish first. So so I've been someone who trips is, over. As an, yeah. So as Bob, so as an entrepreneur, my career, I believe my career has been a turtle in the race. But I've been able to mitigate risk. I've been able to weather the storm. And I've been able to have a speedboat mentality instead of a cruise liner. Again, I'm for big corporations. I think they're extremely important because they hire a ton of people. They offer benefits. Um, they're great for industry. They're great for the economy. But again, when you're in a failing economy where even if you're in the music business or in the fashion business and, and people are not... Um, consuming in any business. Uh, again, you know, um, the, the way I look at the music business, and, and because I'm in the music business and I'm an entrepreneur in the business, I look at it as, as an industry that is pretty bulletproof when it comes to young people and music listeners and music buyers. But in order for, for any entrepreneur to succeed in their business, either you're in the music business, fashion business, telecom business, Either you're Apple, either you're Google, either you're any company. Yep. It, it, if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make dollars. So yes. what I try to do with my business is I try to say, okay, what are we going to sell an album for? Okay, what what are tickets? What price? What are we going to price our tickets for on tour in different markets? How is the economy in that market? So if I'm touring the South, I have to say the South here in the United States. I have to say, okay, how is the economic you know, how does the financial picture look like in the South if we're going to be touring there? What can we sell a ticket for? Right. How do we, maybe we throw the CD in the ticket and or maybe throw a digital pack in there that's going to make sense for the consumer to want to buy the album and the ticket so they get a two for one. But we make money because we, we, we market the album, but plus we give them a concert. So there's a lot of ways. So I, I tell entrepreneurs all the time in any business, all business is business at the end of the day. Sure. It's about profits. It's about ROI and it's about succeeding. Yep. But, and and Bob and, and that's what I try to do. I try to succeed with our staff 
in our business by looking looking at the storm ahead of us and saying, what shifts are we prepared to make? What things are we prepared to do? What things are we prepared not to do? And and how do we try to... No one has a crystal ball in business. Sure. So I say, how do we look at the future? We don't have a crystal ball. How do we end up profitable? Remember, all Wall Street wants or, or any credited investor wants or any business wants, you want to be able to... If you're going to spend a dollar... Hopefully you want to bring, if you spend a dollar, you want to make six cents on that dollar. Right. Okay? Now, we all want pie in the sky. You know, everybody wants a 20% return or a 30% return or sometimes even a 50% return. But what we do is at a company, we say, okay, if we're spending a million dollars, how do we cover the million dollars? How do we bring $60,000 in on top of that million dollars? Right. And it's a very low number when your person here is, well, 6% return. Yep. But a 6% to 10% return is not a bad return in a business. So what we try to focus on in our business plan is making the return. Anything else is pie in the sky, but how do we hit our return? And that's what's important. That's great advice. Juan, thanks very much for joining me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. For those of you listening, you just had a great lesson in how to do business. Forget the fact that Juan is a superstar in the music business. He's also a very, very, very smart businessman. And if we listen to that advice, that's some of the best advice we've had in a short interview uh, since this radio show's been going since 2011. Now, one, I really appreciate it. And if you want to learn more about One G, go to one-g.com. That's one, W-O-N-hyphen.com. And remember, the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, this is the place for interviews with the leaders and shakers in American business, entertainment and sports. One, I look forward to catching up with you in the next couple of weeks and I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking no bullshit business radio show coming to you each week from Los Angeles. As you know, this program's heard all around the world with a big audience in the United States and the top international markets. We are doing extremely well. So we have listeners in around about 100 countries. So we thank you all for listening, no matter whereabouts in the world you are. I really appreciate your support. I mentioned to you last week that the general manager of Voice America Network in Phoenix uh, told me that my promotional photo was dull and boring, which it was. It was prissy. So we've done a new one, (laughs) which if you go online to voiceamericabusiness.com, you will find it. You'll find the new image. It certainly makes me look better. I've probably spent a lot more money on airbrushing this one, but nevertheless, let me know what you think of the new 
new image, I, I actually like it much better. Now, this is a segment of the show where we bring you emails from around the world and uh, they're applicable no matter what. It was interesting that um, I've said that no matter where in the world you speak, you get the same questions. I gave a speech last week in, um, in Los Angeles and exactly the same questions. It's, they're so predictable because no matter where you are in the world, everybody that's in small business or who's an entrepreneur all have the same problems. And so the answers to the emails that I give you are relevant no matter where in the world you are. And this week's first email comes from James Johnson from New Jersey. James' email says, thanks for a terrific show. We wouldn't miss it. Now, we're creating a new logo for our business, and I wonder what advice you might be able to give us. Okay, James, well, first of all, thank you for your kind words. I'm glad you enjoy the show. We put a lot of work into it each week to find the best information that we think can be of help to you, so I'm really pleased that um, you're getting something out of it. Now, logos are extremely powerful marketing tools, and if they properly reflect the personality of your business and differentiate you from your competitors, then they'll build recognition for your, for your business, and they will also help you get first recall brand awareness, which is critical when somebody is looking for whatever it is you do. The first question you've got to ask yourself is whether the logo is appropriate for your business and your industry. You know, different industries need a different kind of logo. Some of them need to be fluid. Some of them need to be vibrant. Some of them need to be stable. Some of them, you know, just depends on what it is you're trying to communicate. So the first thing you've got to do is to get the logos of all your competitors have a look at them and see if there's any common thread to them. Um, perhaps there is. That represents the industry. Now, that doesn't mean you have to follow those trends. I mean, maybe better off doing something totally different. But um, until you have a look at what everybody else is doing, then you really haven't got a place to start. But you've got to base your image, base your logo and your image on researching the industry and not just on some idea that pops into your head and you think, oh, that's cute, because cute don't cut it. And the best logos are simple logos. They're um, easier to recall and are more effective at building brand recognition. Now, your logo's got to tell a story of who you are and that they've got to do it in one really simple image. And the more complex the image, the more difficult it is to recall, much more difficult to reproduce so it looks great on a letterhead when it's printed in, you know, four-color process, but it looks crappy on a business card or in black and white or what other, other, other form that you need to produce it in. So you've got to have something that translates into a whole bunch of various sizes, a whole bunch of various forms and in colour, grayscale and black and white. And that's not that easy to do. And the most effective logos have your consumer purchasing benefit. 
that's really critical, um, which is, and that's the primary reason that somebody should choose your product or service over your competition. And it's got to be integrated into the logo. That way, every if, every time somebody sees your logo, then it's reinforcing why it is that your product is a superior product for them to buy for their application. And it's important the CPB is integrated into that logo and doesn't look like a, um, a standalone message. You've also got to stay away from all the tricks. I know they're really temp- tempting, but drop shadows, gradients and all those things make a logo so much more difficult to read and to recognise. So keep in mind that your logo can be utilised just about anywhere. So the more complex it is, the more difficult it is to translate across a whole bunch of different mediums. Another important consideration with logos is the use of colour. Now keep in mind that colour can mean various things to different people and in different cultures. So you need to research which colours best suit your brand. So if you're a creative company, then you need dynamic, vibrant colour. If you're a financial services company, you want to be seen as stable and conservative. So you need a colour that reflects that. So your selection of colour can be really critical. And keep it simple as your logo is not always going to be displayed in full colour. It may look good on your website, but it may look like one hell of a mess in other places. Now, sometimes the application of your logo is going to be really small, and at times it may be really large. So does it lose its character and definition when it's either shrunk down to really small or enlarged to gigantic? Every time you get an application of your logo, it's going to be colour processed in a different way. So you need to make sure that you specify guidelines for the use of your logos, specify the exact colours, how much space you want around the borders of the logo, various file formats for high-quality versions. You know, these are the very minimum pieces of information that you need to give people to ensure that your logo is always consistent. And once you've demonstrated what your logo should look like, then you need to have an excellent graphic artist to translate your ideas into artwork. I usually go to Elance. It's a fabulous bidding system where people from all around the world compete for your business and it will save you a huge amount of money. I mean, Elance is fantastic. And uh, if you haven't used Elance before, I suggest you jump online and have a look. It really is great, and that's just as it sounds, E-L-A-N-C-E. It reminds me that um, when I first came to Los Angeles about 25 years ago, I had a meeting with the marketing director at Disney, and he gave me a piece of advice that I will never, ever forget. He, um, he said that if, bearing in mind in those days, there were a lot less communication mediums, but he said... If you put your letterhead, uh, if you put your logo on, say, a letterhead, then go and put, stick that on the wall and surround it by all your competitive letterheads. 
Then close your eyes, put your back to the wall, quickly turn around, look at the wall, and if you can't see yours first, it isn't good enough. So if you can't see your logo in a sea of logos, if yours doesn't jump out, then it isn't good enough. And I think that is a tremendous piece of advice, which I still use regularly. My last point in this subject is that your logo and image need to change with the times. Now, if you look at the Coca-Cola logo over the last 120 years or so, there's been subtle changes on an ongoing basis to make it more relevant to the times. So when you go to the Coca-Cola Museum, uh, I guess it's in Atlanta. I've been to it a few times and I'm just trying to remember where it is, but I'm sure it's in Atlanta. You can have a look at their logo and how their logo's progressed over that 120 years. And while the change from one year to the next is extremely subtle, the change over 120 years is really quite dramatic. So if you happen to be wandering around Atlanta, go to the Coca-Cola Museum because it really is a great exercise in branding. I mean, there's no doubt that they're they have best, some of the best branding in the world, so it's worth a look. James, I hope that answers your question. Now, as we do for everyone whose um, emails read on air, tomorrow we'll send you a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, my latest best-selling book from Wiley. Um, I was going to, last week I started answering an email from... Um, Jeffrey Collins of Rally, North Carolina, and I only just started into it. He was talking about working with a startup and, and guides, if there was any tips I could give him with regard to helping guide entrepreneurs along the way, and I began to answer it and ran out of time, and unfortunately, I've run out of time again. So um, next week, I will tackle it first, and that way, we will definitely get through it. Um, So if you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the advice that we give you each week, then please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Send in your questions. Email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Google+. And don't forget to become my friend on LinkedIn. We use LinkedIn very regularly here and we'd love to have you as a contact, and if there's a particular guest you'd like me to interview or a particular topic you'd like me to tackle, again, send me an email at bob at bobpritchard.com. I hope you've enjoyed the show. We've been thrilled to be able to bring it to you since 2011. It's a heap of fun, and uh, I'll be with you at the same time next week, no matter where you are in the world, to address the critical issues that affect small business everywhere. So thanks for listening to Bob Pritchard. This is the No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at the same time. This is Bob Pritchard. Check out my new image at voiceamerica.com. And uh, I'll be back with you next week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.